0: Man, it's just so good to be here with you guys, like, oh, it's so good to be here with you guys. <laughs> um, when I say that, like, when Tori says within 10 seconds, like, like, we just clicked, I mean, literally, guys, like, within, like, a minute, I was just like, dude, I love this guy. I was like, oh, my gosh, I love this guy so much. And, um, man, we're just so lucky at the well, because when I say that, like, Tori uh, and Natalie have just welcomed my family so well, he's become a friend I mean, a mentor, pastor, confidant, and it seems like just in the snap of a finger. And um, I just thank you, you know, like I sincerely appreciate it, bro. I'm not going to cry. Woo! All right. And uh, really the beautiful part of that is that, you know, we you can see that through the rest of the, you know what, actually, sorry, I need to do, I need to set a timer because we'll be here until like four. Um, so the beautiful part to having great leaders is, uh, you know, Actually, before that, because I think the leadership in total is an expression of what Tori's doing and how he shepherds and how he leads. Because I mean, just the staff here just welcomed us so well. Like even Christy Friday sending me an email just like, hey, do y'all need anything for the baby, any last minute stuff? If she's here, I'm going to answer that email, I promise. Um, (laughs) You know, just the the community group leaders, to see you guys engage and, and man, it's just beautiful. And what's great about having great leaders is actually not that we get to stand up here and say how great they are. The beauty of having great leaders is that they influence us and actually inspire us to change as we walk in their footsteps following Jesus. And there's no better example of that that I can think of in this church than you sitting right here. Um, And let me explain why. When we were, were deciding, making a decision to move from our last church to this church, it was um, a bit of an anxiety-causing event, you know? Like, we totally understood that the Lord was saying, this is where you need to be. But there was no small amount of anxiety associated with taking your (laughs) eight-month pregnant wife, at the time, uh, uprooting us from a place we've been five or six years and coming to a new community. And um, the Lord just silenced so many of those anxieties you know, and it turned into just the best experience of our lives. And that is 100% your fault. <laughs> um, it's, it really is. It's just so super your fault. Like the way so many of you have welcomed us and have made us feel at home and like family so fast. Uh-huh. Rain it in, man. rain it in. All right. <laughs> um, I just super appreciate you. And there's no amount of Words that could communicate how much I appreciate you. But man, um I the wells just won such a such a huge part of my heart already. And uh yeah, let's rein it in. All right. Let's just my name's Josh, as Tori mentioned. Uh, <laughs> let's just move right on, guys. Let's just move right on. And uh my I'm married to Rachel, she is the most uh, amazing woman ever. She uh, we're due to have our, or she's due to give birth to our first baby um, Friday. So she's not making a baby. She made a baby. All right. She made that baby. That baby's just waiting to come out now. So we're, we're anticipating that. It's really exciting. Um, I, I worked at our last church in San Marcos for, for a few years doing church planning and ministry stuff and um, had just the privilege to run into Torrey, uh when I visited last January. And, uh, man, I can honestly say it's just an absolute pleasure to be here with you guys. Like, I'm super excited. And really, I know that moving forward, you know, I'm, I'm, I, although I have met a lot of you guys, and I, like, Tori's right, I love a lot of you guys. Like, really, really, really love you. Um, I also understand that, like, I'm the new guy, right? So there's going to be a time of, of developing and building trust between us and stuff like that, and a lot of that is actually going to come right here, you know, during times like this where we actually open the scriptures, we, we explore them together, and we we glorify and exalt Jesus together as a body. And so, as we kind of pivot into the sermon, I just want to invite you, even though some of you don't know me, right? Some of you have not seen me before. Um, some of you have. Some of us have shared some tears and had some good moments. Regardless of which camp you're in, I just want to invite you over the next few minutes to explore the scriptures with me and just exalt Jesus in your heart as we kind of just search out God in, in the word that He's given us to communicate who He is. Okay? So, uh, we're in the middle of a vision series, right? And so what the, the, the really great part about a vision series is that um, we have an opportunity to see where we are, but more than that, we have an opportunity to see where we desire to go. And specifically, the topic today is evangelism. And evangelism is a beautiful, beautiful activity, means of grace, like a discipline in the church, where it's, it's almost like a, 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 a crossover between discipleship and sending, Right? Because it's by the means of evangelism that the body begins to grow, that the body begins to, to multiply. And it's from the means of that multiplication that we're able to send people and change the world, whether it's missionaries, church planters, no matter what it is, it's from the means of that actual growth and multiplication that takes place in evangelism. Right? Like, I get that we can have a lot of babies, and people are having babies like crazy in here right now. I've already seen it. But that's like 20 years down the road until someone's actually able to, like, go. Right? So what we want to be able to do is multiply through the means of evangelism in order to really be able to send people and make an impact in Austin and around the world. Now, when we think about evangelism, what I already know is that the innate response to evangelism is a broad spectrum. And about 85% of that spectrum is people having panic attacks like right now. Like there's some of you guys right now just like the thought of sharing your, and if you don't know what evangelism is, right, if that's just such a faraway word to you, it's basically just the concept of sharing your faith. And now that I said that, now you're actually having a panic attack. <laughs> all right, so, um, but I also know that the 15% left over in that spectrum is like this really rare breed that I said, like, share your faith. They were like, come on, like, you know, like, that's a rare breed, right? And regardless of which camp or you know, where you fall on the spectrum, all of the individuals on that spectrum make up two groups. Right? We make up the first group, which is people that really pursue the passion, the excitement they just felt when they heard the thought of sharing their faith. There's an, you know, and the other individuals that really um, fought their fears and they went out and they were like, we're going to do it anyway. And they make up the camp of people that you know, share their faith probably pretty regularly. And then we have another camp right, of people that really don't, you know, they, they didn't pursue that excitement, people that really weren't able to overcome those fears. And they make up a camp of people that, that generally don't share their faith that much. And I want you to know, in a room this size, no matter which of those groups you're a part of, man, you're not alone. All right, you're not alone. No matter which group you're in, whether you're excited, whether you're not, whether you do, whether you don't, you're not alone. And I really encourage you to cast that aside right now before we even dig in, because one of the greatest uh, tools the enemy has is when he actually is able to make us feel isolated and get us away from the body, because the greatest tool, the, the desire for God is that he wants to use the church corporately, not Tori individually, not Nick individually, not any one person individually. But he wants to use the church corporately together in order to spread his message and change the world. And so if you at any point start feeling isolated, man, that's the greatest danger to the body advancing the kingdom. So cast that aside right now because you're not alone. Literally, even just like outside of this room, you're not alone. Like there's a LifeWay research statistic that says 80% of people uh, that regularly attend church believe they should evangelize. Uh, but only like, but 61% actually have said that they've not shared their faith in over six months. Uh, so you're literally not alone, you know? But, but the funny thing is that that's not an indictment against Christians because the heart of the Christian character actually does desire to make a change. Even when we look at charitable giving, right, we look at charitable giving, 60% of people that regularly attend a church service give to a charity, whether the charity is religious or not. So the Christian heart literally says, there's something wrong, I wanna make a change, I wanna make a difference, and I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. Because we understand that we wanna see the world impacted, change. we wanna see God glorified, we wanna see all those beautiful things. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, what can happen is we forget that the primary agent of change in our lives was not the assistance, was not this, was not that, but it was the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts, right, giving us purpose, giving us meaning, restoring us to Jesus, giving us the greatest treasure on earth, God himself, that is actually what happened when we heard the gospel, and that was the primary agent of change in our life. And so, when we move forward, as you know, now some of you guys, when you heard that, you're like, totally agree, right? But I don't speak good, right? Totally get it. It's scary. There's there's all kinds of things going on that really, uh, you know, motivate us to be a little intimidated by the thought of sharing our faith. Tim did a great job, Tim did an amazing job just sharing so many of the things that cross our mind when we actually think about if I have time or if I have the capacity to share my faith. And what I want to do today, instead of being like, you know, those fears aren't legitimate, they are. They are. As opposed to me saying, hey, let's just go do this. What I would rather do is go to Scripture and see what the Lord has to say about those fears. And specifically, we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians and we're gonna camp out there the majority of the time, but we're gonna take a look at Paul's life, how he engaged with Thessalonians, his, and really he ends up communicating his heart behind evangel, evangelism in general. And what's important to see there is, is we see Paul's individual commitment, his individual heart toward evangelism and sharing his faith. What we end up seeing, right, is that the church starts to become an imitator of, of, of Paul. And as they start to work together, the church itself starts to change the world. Not Paul, the church. And so what I really want to do is just look at our fears, see what Paul really has to say about them. And I really believe we're going to have three takeaways today that are going to be a balm to our heart, a balm to our fears. And they're going to encourage us to take a step out of faith, not because we should, but because we get to. Okay, so uh, as the ushers come forward, they're actually going to come and they're going to uh, give some Bibles. If you don't have one, raise your hand, grab that. If you're in the Bible app, you can hit the tab button, uh, and go to events, you can track along there. Uh, there's also, you know, I think you can put this in like your, your Safari or whatever it is, like your, your browser of choice. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in because we got uh, some ground to cover and I don't have that much time. So we're going to be in First Thessalonians. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, we're going to read through 8, okay? For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Um, before we jump in, I kind of want to just add some context to where we're at in the scriptures today. Um, obviously, we're in 1 Thessalonians, but First Thessalonians was written by Paul. And it was actually written by Paul after he had finished... Uh, He was actually in Corinth. He had gone through the city Thessalonica. Uh, You know, Thessalonians, it's where the name comes from. And he was only able to be there for a short amount of time. he had actually just gotten, he references Philippi, he had just gotten through with a mission trip to Philippi where he was treated horribly. He was stripped down, thrown into jail, beaten. And when that happened, he had to flee, or actually they asked him to leave. So he left and he came to Thessalonica. And while in Thessalonica, he was able to teach and able to, to win some, but the Bible says he was able to teach for three Sabbaths. So, what we've really gained as an understanding of the context here is that Paul only had a short amount of time in Thessalonica. It was anywhere between a few months and as little as three weeks before a riot started about Paul. <laughs> like, my man just can't stay out of trouble, man. He's in jail one day, next place, riot. Like, you know, it's, he, he's getting, you know, into these situations. But because of that, uh, the, the citizens of Thessalonica, the believers, they say, Paul, we need you to go. We need you to run. So he, he takes off. But because of that, he feels unsure if the Thessalonian church is actually equipped like some of the other churches until Timothy, a fellow missionary, comes upon and says, Man, I visited Thessalonica and they're doing great. They're doing amazing. In fact, he says they've become imitators of you, right? They're imitators of, of the very people that, that drew them, that, that shared their faith. They're imitators of us and, man, they've, they've been awesome. And so Paul writes this letter. So Thessalonians encouraging them and also trying to fill in some of those gaps that he thinks he might have left. But during this time, another thing that's going on is that there there may or may not be uh, some of the same individuals that were in the riot, that were rioting against Paul, they actually might have started spreading some kind of rumor that, you know, Paul's message wasn't that big a deal. And and, uh, he was just a traveling philosopher trying to get wealth and trying to get all these different things and and because of that, you know, when he found out he couldn't really gain those, he left, he took off. So in this section Paul actually does something to defend his ministry. He returns back to the first days and asks them to remember his conduct and his heart in those first moments where he's evangelizing, sharing his faith. And when he does that, he reveals so much about what evangelism is and why it happens that we as the church grab a hold of, and we begin to let it mold our lives the same way the Thessalonians begin to let it mold theirs. And so as he dives into this defense, he starts by just saying in 2, 1, and 2, "'For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain.'" But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And so Paul literally, after someone, you know, this group looking at him and going, hey man, y'all wasted your time with that guy. Y'all wasted your time with that guy. Paul writes in instantaneously, he's like, man, it wasn't a waste of time. It wasn't a waste of time. And it's here he's not actually saying, like, hey, we, we got a lot of numerical growth, so it was valuable. We don't know how much numerical growth was in the Thessalonian church. What Paul's actually saying is that, man, it, whether we had numbers or we didn't, it wasn't a waste of time. Why wasn't it a waste of time? Well, he goes on in verse 2, and that's when he says, hey, hey, I had boldness in God, right? I had boldness in God. That's why it wasn't a waste of time. Because in the midst of much conflict, in the midst of, of very scary things, I was able to precedent, have boldness in God. That's why it wasn't a waste of time. Now, what does boldness mean? Because a lot of us are like, man, I'd rather be safe than courageous, right? Like it's, uh, so what exactly is it about boldness that Paul really says, this is actually a mark of value in the time that I spent there? Well, it depends on how we really view the concept of boldness and if we view it the way Paul did. Because boldness to Paul in in 2 Corinthians 3.12, he's going to say, because I have such a hope, I'm very bold. Do you see the connection there? He says, man, when when I actually am bold, what's going on is that I'm pressing down and I'm clinging to something far more than just my own courage or far more than just saving face or the results or whatever else is going on. I'm holding on to a hope that's far beyond me. And I'm clinging to the hope of Jesus for dear life as I face the fears that are presented to me. And any time I do that, any time I cling to that hope, any time I cling to Jesus and I find my boldness in God, it doesn't matter what the result is, it wasn't a waste of time. So realistically, I want, when concerning evangelism, what I want you to get is that evangelism is not a waste of time. So many times when we think about going and sharing our faith, we're filled with fears about what someone will think of us, we're filled with concerns about how they're going to perceive us. They're also, uh, you know, or we also have this thought of like, man, what if nothing happens? What if I share my faith and someone's like, that guy's dumb, and then they walk away, right? This is like, this starts to make us, ang- this is what caused the anxiety in the beginning when I just said evangelism, like four of you were like, all right, like this, that's, the, that's the fear. It, it, it makes us faint because so many of us can look at the face of, of conflict and opposition and we go, oh man, that's pretty scary. And what if nothing comes of it? And Paul's saying every moment you have to dig in and cling to Jesus more than you can cling to anything else to overcome those fears. It doesn't matter what happens. It wasn't a waste of time. Realistically, the implications is this, so you know how you don't waste your life? You fill it with moments where you depend on Jesus. That's, that's the beauty of it. It's not like a, because sometimes we walk around and we're like, I have, I don't, what am, do I have meaning in life? And, and that's not a, I don't know why I said it all pitiful. I got, I'm sorry. It's, not, it's a very real concern. But this is how, this is how, right? If I go through my whole life confident in everything that I'm doing, I never have to depend on Jesus. I don't care if I made a million dollars. That was a waste of time. But if I research every single moment of my life, and I know, man, my life was filled with moments where I understood the grace of God, and it made itself more real to me because I had to cling to it so many moments, that wasn't a waste of time. I don't care if you made $5 or $5,000, that was a valuable, valuable use of your time. So Paul understands that when I evangelize, no matter what happens, I have to cling to God, and that's not a waste of time. But what makes that hope valuable? What makes that hope valuable? Uh, You know, we understand that it's the hope of Jesus, but in order for us to understand the value of that hope, the value of Jesus, we have to understand what Jesus has done. And that's how he really goes into the next section of text. So we're going to look at, uh, just go to the very next section. We're going to start in verse 3, chapter 2, and he goes on to say, for our appeal, we didn't waste our time, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Can we look at this text? We we, we begin to understand how Paul's weaving this thought that says, man, because I cling to this hope, it's valuable. And let's look at why, because Paul understands that evangelism is to please God. Evangelism is to please God. Can we pull up the second takeaway? And this is the second takeaway that I really want us to look at. Evangelism is to please God, but it's not to prove to God. Right away, right, when I say something like, you know, man, he evangelized so that he could please God, there's like... 80% 80% of the people in this room go, I have an evangelized, so does that mean I'm not pleasing God? Man, I want to please God, does this mean that he's upset with me? And in a culture where everything we do really is based on how we're pleasing someone so we can earn their approval, we can be in a situation where the thought of pleasing God leads us to the thought of displeasing God, and therefore having to sit and being unapproved by God, disowned by God, rejected by God, because that's what so much of the world has taught us pleasing someone is rooted in. But when we take a look at verse four in this text, Paul says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God. So, the, the contradiction arises, right? Approved, but pleasing. Can he displease and still be approved? What if he pleases and is still disapproved? What, what's going on? The value of the hope was rooted in the fact that Paul understood he wasn't pleasing God to earn his approval, but that he was approved by God and therefore knew that he was going to respond to that approval with unending work ethic. And this is so beautiful because it it really is the root of the gospel, right? It's the root of the gospel that we, though we did not merit anything, though we had moments of being unlovable, though we had moments where, where God could have looked at us and judged us harshly, he chose to love us. And when he chooses to love us, he gives us an approval that we could never earn on our own. And in the midst of that gospel truth, Paul understands anytime I press in to this hope, I'm reminded of the fact that I could never do anything to be approved by God. But because God is who God is, he has approved me whether I've done anything or not. Anytime we press in and we face our fears by clinging to that hope, the reason it's valuable, the reason it's not a waste of time is because it reminds us that God is is the God of the gospel, right, that he approves us, he makes us whole, he loves us despite, no matter what we've done. You know, this is actually, here's an example, right? Um, Usually I get here at nine on Sundays. In the four weeks I've been working here, I've gotten here at nine on Sundays. Okay, so... um, When I get here at 9, it's really surprising because there's, like, a lot of people here. And I think to myself, church doesn't start for, like, two hours. But they're just, it's, like, swarming. People are unloading a trailer. People are setting up trades. People are setting up, like, all this stuff. Like, it doesn't, contrary to popular belief, it's not this way when you get here, right? So it has to be set up. And I want to be really sensitive here because God is pleased with those people. God appreciates those people. They're serving the body, and it's amazing. But the most incredible part is that God doesn't love those people more. God loves them exactly the same as he loves the person that jumped up at 10:50 and was like, "Oh man, I don't want to miss church." Came here, didn't shower, right? Just Amen. barely got here by the, <laughs> right? Barely got here by the skin of their teeth, right? Just barely showed up. And God looks at them and says, "My affections for you and you are exactly the same." They're exactly the same. Sorry. But think about the weight of that. Paul understands the value of pressing in to this hope is that when we evangelize, when we share our faith and we fight through those fears, it's not because we're looking for results. It's because, man, it's not a waste of time because when I press into that hope, I get a dose of the reality that no matter what happens right now, God's going to love me. God's gonna love me either way. I could say something stupid, sure, right? Absolutely. I say stupid stuff all the time. <laughs> it doesn't change God's affections toward me, and that's the beauty. Like I, so we're on evangelism, right? And uh, I specifically remember one time that I went to Barton Creek Mall to evangelize, right? <laughs> and uh, you laugh, but like I legitimately went and was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna." Speak to, I got a number, right? I'm going to speak to five people. And in your mind, when you're going to evangelize, sometimes like you pump yourself up, right? I don't know. If, where's Todd Watkins at? I think he could back me up on this, all right? Um, you get real pumped up, and you're like, all right, out of those five, we're going to see two come to the Lord. We're going to see one come to the Lord. And uh, man, right off the bat, I walked up. First person I saw was this dude sitting at a table near the food court, and I look at him, and I go, hey, man, can I, can I ask you some questions? And he just didn't even look up. He just said no. And I, and I was like, dude, man. So I backed it up with another question, right? I was like, maybe I could just ask him if I could sit here. And I was like, that was probably all, more awkward than the original question. Regardless, that's the route I went. And he said, he looked up for me. He said, "Man, I need you to get the bleep out of here before I call security." And I was like, "Bro, <laughs> I'm gonna step over here. All right, I'm gonna go to the you know champs or whatever is in the mall. I'm gonna head that way." Um, and I'll be honest, the rest of the day it was just a really bad time for me. Like, I'll be honest, it was the most discouraging thing in the world, right? I walked away, and I was just like, I felt like a failure. I felt like I'd wasted my time. I felt like nobody benefited from this. I felt all these things. I wish I could go back. It was probably three years ago. I wish I could go back to that, Josh, and be like, man, don't worry about that. Because the affection that God has for you has not changed from right before you said hi to that guy to now. You're living proof that the Lord is immense immeasurably loving because in the midst of where sure no one responded to you yeah great and the lord loves you deeply still it hasn't changed and that's a freedom that is liberating or that's a grace that's a love that's liberating To know that you're loved by god to know that there's nothing that can change that to know that that man when 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 i fail when i stumble i It's not like all of a sudden the Lord was like, oh, man, idiot. You know, like it doesn't happen. We're met with grace. The beauty of the gospel shines when we stumble, when we fail, when any of those things happen, and we come back and say, man, I love you, Lord. I'm I'm sorry. And he responds back with I love you too. It's especially true in evangelism, man. So uh, the the freeing nature of this love, though, is really where Paul kind of goes into his next direction, though. Because if you think about it, when you're able to say, all right, man, if I say something dumb, the Lord still loves me, then you're able to say something dumb without, like, a big concern about it. At the same time, if you're able to say the Lord loves me, and it leads you to say, therefore, I can love someone, and if they don't love me, it's all right. In fact, I'm so loved by the Lord that I'm willing to love you even if you don't love me like that concept we always hear of like, hurt people, hurt people. Well, loved people, love people. And when we understand the depths of God's love for us, it begins to free us to know, man, I don't have to prove or have to gain love. I can just go out and love because I've been affirmed by the greatest love in the world. And it's from this love where Paul really takes the next step in our text. He, he goes to verse 7 and says, but, but, we were gentle among you like nursing like a nursing mother taking care of her own children so being affectionately desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of god but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us you see how that works right i'm going to go share my faith i don't care if anybody says yes i care right, because I love people, but that's not going to change how I see God seeing me. And because I know that I'm affirmed by God, I know that if I just lay my life out on the line to love this person and they don't respond back well, it's fine. When we understand the depths of the gospel, the reason evangelism isn't a waste of time, the reason that it's good to know the pleasure of God versus the approval of God is because we're able to be freed to love someone beyond the measure of what we could naturally love someone. And in evangelism, is it to please God? Absolutely. But the secondary cause is to see others come to faith. When we're able to cast aside and go, man, you know what? Not only do I want to share the gospel, but, man, I want to show you the gospel. I don't just want to share it. Now, hold on, hold on, wait. Because there's like that, that, that phrase, there's like this really catchy saying, it's like preach the gospel, use words if necessary. I harshly disagree, okay? I, I want, I'm just going to refrain from using stronger language, but I I disagree wholeheartedly because you have to share the gospel. But evangelism is the freedom in Christ. Once we understand the depths of Christ's love for us, to not just share the gospel, but to show the gospel. When we combine these two, it really begins to do something beautiful. It begins to model Jesus, as we're able to see that man, when we invite people into our lives, as Paul said, I wasn't, because I had become so affectionately desirous of you, he says, I was willing to share with you not just the gospel, but to open my whole life to you. I was willing to just open and say, hey man, come on in, come on in. And some of you guys right now, literally, the whole time we've been talking about evangelism, I've shared a couple of things. You're like, man, but I can't speak very well. But I, you know, I, I'm not as good as this, or I stumble upon, you know, I stumble over my words and this kind of thing. Paul's saying, like, hey, man, you have a really valuable tool in the midst of some of those, you know, some of those, some of those realities, right? The tool is your, your very own life. Colossians 1.27, Paul's going to say, man, the hope of glory in, the hope of glory, Christ in you, in you, in you, in me, right? Romans 8.11 is to say that the power of God that raised Christ from the grave is at work in you. In me, when we open our lives, we give anyone, everyone, a firsthand example of what the gospel looks like because we're able to show them, man, here's my life. Sometimes it's a mess and then it's forgiven by God and sometimes I'm great, I'm pursuing him. But the reality is in the midst of no matter which one I'm in, God adores me. So come on in and see. Come on in and see. I'm going to share the gospel with you and then you're going to see how it works by my life. Man, maybe the Lord is working in my life. He's working in me. I'm growing. I'm taking steps. I'm I'm stumbling one day, but then I take two steps forward, right? Like, man, this is my life, and it is marked by the love of God and the gospel of Jesus. So come on in and see. And there's power in that, man. There's power in that. No longer are you just depending on, on what you say, but you're depending on the Holy Spirit showing the beauty of God in just what he's doing in your life. You couple that with those moments where you're like, hey, man, here's the gospel, right? This happened to me the other day, and, you know, X, Y, and Z, I, I, I kind of had a moment where I felt kind of bad about something that I did, but then I thought about how Jesus loves me, and it was beautiful, and I just, I got back up the next day. Super impactful, right? Being next to somebody and hearing them say, man, my life is hard right now. Like, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. Can I pray for you? Those moments of, of, of showing the gospel, being relational, like having having friendships that, that are used as tools to advance the kingdom. Man, there's nothing like that, and this works. I can tell you countless stories of how this works. In fact, there's one story um, about a young girl, right? So, yeah. Uh, and this young girl, she grew up without a father. Her dad passed away when, or before she was born. Uh, she grew up in a family. Her mom's, you know, not a believer. Uh, she was a very smart girl. She she got a full ride to college. She was in a class, and this other young lady, a new friend came and sat next to her, right? new friend came and sat next to her. They begin talking. They begin exchanging some thoughts, and she just really pursues her with friendship. And they start getting coffee. They start hanging out. The new friend starts sharing the gospel with the young girl slowly, slowly and, and and something else is going on, because the, 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 the young girl, she fought back, back through her life and was like, man, I've been around some Christians, but, but man, this seems so different. Like, man, she's pursuing Jesus. She shares this message with me. Her life looks different. And man, you know what? I, I kind of feel like I want that. I don't know what it is that I want quite yet, but I know I want what She has. So they begin, you know, become deeper friends. They start traveling with one another, they start going to, to what the next one was, you know, they start going to different events with each other. And eventually the girl starts following her new friend to church. Because they're friends. And the friend is like, You want to come to church with me? I mean, it's what I do on Sundays. She goes. And it's there in the midst of some church services where this young girl who grew up without a father heard the message that God was her father. And a chord struck with her. And, And something rose up inside of her, and she said, I want that. I want to be loved by that God. The gospel took root in her. She gave her life to Jesus, and that changed the trajectory of her life. Uh, It changed the trajectory of my life. uh, Because five years later, uh, after this event, I would go to a Christian but it was, I call it a Christian birthday party because it was the most Christian birthday party I've ever Like We were singing worship songs and like someone had made chicken, but there was no drinking. It was like, it was next level Christian, right? But while we were there, I saw this young girl who just loved Jesus so much. And something just broke in me and I felt like the Lord wanted me to talk to her. There's the whole story behind that, but three years later after that, I married her. And now the trajectory of her life changed, the trajectory of my life changed, and we're about to have a daughter, and the trajectory of her life changed. All because one girl was willing to say, Hey, here's my life. Come into it. Come into it. Let me share the gospel with you, and let me show you the gospel at work in my life. And it did a beautiful thing in winning over my wife. But the beautiful part is, that, man, that's already happening here, it's already happening in this body. Right, like, like, I, I mean, just going around here, stories a couple of Sundays ago or last Sunday, uh, Callie Ward shared a story in our training where she was like, you know, there's this coworker, she shares all these books uh, with me. Oh, there you are. So uh, she shares all these books with me, and I read them, right? And through reading them, I get to kind of build a relational bridge that I use to really share the gospel with her. Why? Man, because she's doing it for God, but because she understands how much she's loved. She's able to just affectionately desire this person to love them. She loves them by inviting them into just, you know, a a really nice co-worker friendship that's building and blossoming into something more. And she's using that platform in order to share the love of Christ with that woman. I can't even begin to explain the amount of stories I've heard about KC just giving the gospel to someone. Every time someone opens their mouth and KC comes out, I'm like, it's not going to be about Jojo too. That bad boy's going to be about him sharing the faith with somebody. Like, it's incredible. It's so inspiring. But the beautiful thing isn't just that a couple of us do it, But it's the the Lord God desires for when we all hear this message about how it's liberating, right? We don't have to waste our time in evangelism because we're able to cling to the hope of the gospel. And when we do that, it frees us then to love individuals and invite them into seeing the gospel in addition to hearing the gospel. He says that this is actually what happens in a reproducible way, right? One of us does it, we reach someone, and then all of a sudden three people are doing it. Right? Because when I reach someone, I begin to disciple them, and they begin to do what I was doing. At the beginning, we said the valuable part of having great leaders is that they influence you. They influence you to grow and change. And Paul would say that the churches he started, they became imitators of him as he imitated Christ. And so when I go out, I evangelize, right? Then three people evangelize. Then five people are evangelizing. Then six, seven, eight, and all of a sudden, a corporate body of believers working together is launching out into the world to take the gospel to every living, breathing soul available. And God begins to change the world through this uh, this instance, through this action from the church. And we understand that as a Christian, man, I want to see the world change. I want to see the beauty of the gospel. I want to see people's lives moved. It doesn't take one person. It takes the whole team the whole team of people, the body working together. And what we end up seeing in 1 Thessalonians is that Paul's reminding them so much of what he's done because he understand they're being influenced to do that very thing. Verse 6 in chapter 1 says, and you, Thessalonian church, you, you became imitators of us. All that stuff we were doing, we welcomed you into our lives. And we shared the gospel with you. We were bold in God to know that we were going to cling to the hope of the gospel. All those moments, you begin to imitate us. And of the Lord that we were pursuing, right? But for you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the churches, to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. cave. That's their entire region. For not only was the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, right, in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, everywhere. The body of believers that understands the heart behind what Paul's communicating, that we can have freedom in Christ as we pursue evangelism. We can know that it's not a waste of time. We can rest in the gospel as we do it knowing that it's not always time, and God affirms us, loves us regardless, when that begins to spread like wildfire and the church corporately begins to do it, man, the whole world finds out about Jesus. The whole world finds out about Him. Don't you want to be that church, man? Don't you want to be that church? Like how beautiful and awesome is that, that, that this church in Thessalonica was one of the most influential churches because they just basically were like, hey, man, you want to be friends? Hey, man, you want to be friends? Let me share with you a great message. And in that, the whole region knew of their faith and the whole world had heard the gospel. Right? This is super impactful, man. Today, the challenge to us is not necessarily to go out and evangelize. I hope that's the result of the challenge. But they didn't get here by someone saying, hey man, you really need to evangelize. They got here by Paul unveiling that the gospel was at the center of evangelism, both for them and for us. The challenge I put forth to you today as the new guy, right, is actually just to delight in the Lord, to be affirmed by Jesus. And when you have that freedom to know that nothing you can do can separate you from the love of Christ, just pursue Him. Pursue others with a message of hope, a message of love, a message of grace. And I promise you, every time you do that, you'll cling a little bit to Jesus because it'll be scary. But in those moments, you'll see the beauty of the gospel alive in your life, and you'll know for a fact that that was not a waste of time. And the beauty of it is that as we do that, you'll see people one to the Lord. You'll see the world change. You'll at least see someone's world change. And it'll be a beautiful thing. Here at The Well, we can actually say that, you know, we're doing everything we can to help you get involved. There's three mission trips this year. Three mission trips, one to Mumbai, one to London, and one to Brazil. Uh, Man, hop on board. Go delight in the Lord in another country. Like, that's dope. I'm sorry. Like, that's incredible. Go delight in the Lord in India. Go delight in the Lord in London. Go delight in the Lord in Brazil. Wherever you go, delight in the Lord. Understand the depth of the gospel as he affirms you, and then just pursue spreading his message of love and faith that's changed your life. There's ways we can serve Campbell here. There's ways uh, Todd Watkins is, is uh, neighbors, Nations and Neighbors. Um, man, get involved in that. If you still have your card, fill that out. Fill that out. It's great. My main desire as we close up here is that you would walk away with the challenge, man, how am I going to delight in the Lord? How am I going to really affirm and, and understand and see and cling and hold tight to the fact that the Lord has redeemed my my soul, and that he loves me immeasurably, and that I can't lose that. Okay? So, uh, if you'd pray with me as we close up. Father, thank you so much um, for the time we have together. Thank you that, Lord, you in your infinite love have blessed us with the love of God, um, not based on what we've done, but only based on what you've done. And from there, Lord, we're freed, we're freed to not just share the gospel with others, but to show the gospel as we invite others into our lives and and show them uh, the beauty of what it looks like for you to work in the lives of a normal person. God, I ask that you would uh, inspire us to love you, to um, respond to you well, and to delight in you. We Love you, thank you, pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.